Well, again, welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. I'm Jamie. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, my wife and I uh, get to lead the, the church together. And those of you that are joining us online, we welcome you. Uh, you're part of us, so you're seeing the same thing they're seeing uh, on Sunday as I'm filming this before we leave uh, for our national conference that we do every two years. It'll be in Asheville, North Carolina, and the rest of the staff will catch up to us, but we're going to go up and kind of get things set in order, so we left a little early, so we missed being there. And I was going to have someone else preach on Sunday, but the Lord woke me up this morning, and he, he, he spoke to me. And he said, I want you to preach, uh, video it, show it on Sunday, because there's going to be people there that need to hear this word. And the Lord woke me up with this thought. And I knew I was going to be in Acts chapter 9. You can turn there with me in your Bibles if you want. But he woke me up with this thought. <clears throat> Who have you given up on coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Who have you given up on? And I felt like the Lord, we're going to look at probably, the you could argue, the most radical conversion in the Bible, the, the most radical salvation in the Bible. Uh, we, we talked about him a few weeks ago, and he was uh, an accomplice in having Stephen put to death. And we're talking about Saul. And Saul was a wicked, angry murderous man, and he thought he was doing it for God, and that's what terrorists get deceived in thinking. And so we're going to look at Saul and his transformation to Paul and how God can change any heart. Amen? God can change any heart. So let's start in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So just, it's like, feel a wolf panting with blood on his tongue. It's, he's, he's, he's literally in this, this demonic anger and he, he just wants to hurt and destroy anything that looks like Jesus. Verse 2. He asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way. I love that name. There's a cult group that started a number of years ago in the 70s called The Way. Uh, and it, it, they basically deny that Jesus Christ is equal with God. But just because they stole that name doesn't mean it's not a great name for Christians. They were called the people of the way. Because remember Jesus said, I, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father but through me. So these are people that have found the way through Jesus Christ. And so Saul wants permission and authority to go and persecute them. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he responds, who are you, Lord? Saul asks, and Jesus replies, I love this, I am Jesus. Can you imagine, you got all that's going through his mind right now. 
He's, he, he saw Jesus crucified. He knew he was buried. He didn't believe the, 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 the story that he was resurrected. And now this Jesus that stood up for Stephen when he witnessed to the living Lord Jesus and Saul had to hear the word of God, which were seeds sown in his heart at that time. Now all his world is being radically transformed by these simple words of an encounter with the Lord Jesus. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Well, he's not touched Jesus, has he? No, he's touched who? His children. He's touched the followers of Jesus. See, Satan can't get to Jesus, but he loves to get to those that Jesus loves. He loves to attack the children that represent. But Jesus said, you can't disconnect me from Stephen that you had put to death. You can't disconnect me from those that you're persecuting. He's, he's literally discovering what it means to be the church, the body of Christ. His theology is born in this encounter with the living Lord who's connected to his church in such a way that to spit on one of Jesus' children is to spit on Jesus. I'm Jesus, in verse 5 he says, why are you persecuting me? Now get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now this isn't a negotiation, is it? I've often said God's a terrible negotiator. He just does. You know why? He says, here's the deal. I'm God, you're not. This is what you're gonna do. Now you can say no, but you can't negotiate. When you start negotiating with God, you know you're in dangerous territory because God knows what's best. He's just arrested, if you want to use that language, this guy named Saul, that nobody could have believed that he could change. The Christians feared him. Can you imagine the numbers of people, if you were to take a bet, how many of you think this Saul could become one of the leaders in the church? Everybody would have said, never, no way. Think about this. Don't, don't answer it out loud. But think about the people that you have said, they'll never change. Think about. They're beyond hope. There's no coming back. They're too far gone. All those phrases could have been said about this Saul. God wants us to see today that he's the God that can change anybody, even me. I'm an exhibit A. I was no Saul, but I was a lost, angry, blind young man. I know what it is to be knocked off my horse like Saul. Now, here's the thing. Don't look at this story and think, if it doesn't happen to me like that, then I didn't really come to know Jesus. This is his story. His story is not anybody else's story, but his. But listen to me. There are certain aspects of his story that are in every Christian story, even if you got saved at a young age. In this story, the, the ingredients of salvation are Jesus opens the eyes of one that's been blind. I love the song. We're going to sing it uh, at the end. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved, do you know some churches change the words here? They, it says, saved a one like me. I don't know about you, but I'm not a one like me. 
I know what the original words were. Who saved a wretch like me. The man that wrote that song was a slave trader. He captured uh, Africans, put them in stocks, tortured them, and sold them in slavery. And he had a radical conversion. He's, one another, he's another guy that people would have said, he'll never be saved. You can never change. And God, just like with Saul, gets a hold of him, changes his heart, and teaches him to love people. You can't do slave trade and love Jesus. We want to focus on trying to get people to quit their bad habits. We want to change people culturally. But you can change people culturally, change some bad habits, but you haven't changed what? Their heart. You know, we, John Wimmer that founded the vineyard, he would always say, don't try to take things out of people's mouths until you give them something to fill their hearts. When you fill somebody's heart, then you can radically watch God transform what they're putting in their mouth. You know, I had a, a greeter one time that just didn't quite grasp that concept. And they would greet at the door, and they would determine whether that person came in if they were appropriately dressed. Now, I'm not talking about modestly. For example, this person came in one Sunday, and they had one of those shirts on that, that's got every faith to it. You know, it's even got, you know, it's got Jewish faith. It's got the Muslim faith, the Christian faith. It's got witchcraft. It's got all the faiths. And she's like, you can't wear that shirt to church. I'm like, oh, my God. what? It's like, you know, and what she tried to do was clean the fish before we caught it. Come on. You can't get, you can't, you can't scale a fish. You can't fillet a fish that's still swimming. You got to cut, you got, we, our philosophy at the vineyard is get people to fall in love with Jesus and they're going to realize their behaviors that are displeasing to him because he'll change them. So Saul is an example of God's grace can reach the darkest, lowest, impossible person that could ever be saved. Now, that might be your thinking where you're sitting right now. You might be thinking that, that could be you. You, you. you probably, maybe you bought into the devil's lie that you can never change, that you can't overcome your addictions or your bondages or your, your, your hang-ups or your, 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 your brokenness, and that you're just trapped, and that's just the way you're going to have to live. But let me tell you, God wanted me to get up today and say, that's a lie. Amen? That's a lie. You can change. Now, not yourself. Christianity is not a self-help religion. It's not, okay, Saul, clean up your act, get it together, and come and follow me. Jesus says, Saul, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. First of all, he, after encountering Jesus, he can't see. He's blind. Look what it says. It says after he, he gets knocked to the ground, he encounters Jesus. In verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now, just, and he was blind and did not eat anything. Now, did anybody, does that ring a bell to somebody? What, what does that ring a bell? Well, they led him by the hand. Who can, let me see a hand. Who, who, who triggers that? Who, who did that happen to in the Bible? They led him because he was blind. They led him by the hand. Samson, great story. 
And it's a con- there's a connection here. Samson, the mighty, powerful man of God who compromised and, and the enemy duped him and he lost his strength. He lost his sight. He was blind. And the Bible says that a little, little child, a young child, a teenager, led him and, and in his blindness. And, and in that weakness, Samson discovered a strength far beyond he would ever know. It's at this moment Paul is becoming aware of the theology that we talk about in the church about the power of ugly. You know, Saul has gone from being the strong, self-righteous, powerful man to now he's helpless. He needs someone to guide him. Now, where are you going to take him? Where are you going to take this blind murderer of Christians? Who's going to open their home? Who's going to say, he can stay with me? I want you to see the the process here because his salvation, though it was a sudden encounter with Jesus, it's a progressive uh, unfolding, if you will, and what happens. I I love this. Look what it says. They, they, They took him by the hand and they led him, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, this is not the same Ananias of chapter five who he and his wife lied to the Holy Spirit and they died. So he didn't come back to life. This is a different Ananias, which is kind of interesting here. You're going to see some names that are kind of infamous and, and not well thought of like Ananias, but God's kind of redeeming that name because it's the guy, we don't know anything about this guy, but God's going to give him a cool mission, but we'll get to him in a minute. It says in verse, uh, he says, yes, Lord, because the Lord says to him in a vision in verse 10, Ananias, he said, yes, Lord, which is always the best answer you can give to Jesus when he asks you to do something. Practice it with me. Yes, Lord. Whatever it is, it's like in marriage. You learn to do that, you've come a long ways in marriage if you're the husband, and you can learn to say, yes, honey, yes, honey. It's just wisdom. It's just wisdom. And he says, yes, Lord. And he doesn't even know what the assignment is yet. Verse 11, the Lord says, go to the house of Judas. Now, this is not Judas that betrayed Jesus and hung himself. So now here's another name. We know nothing about this guy. We can only dream and guess. And he's a hero because he opens his home up for this terrorist that's been converted to come and stay in his house. In fact, it's the only street that's named in the whole New Testament of a town. And it says, they came to the house of Judas on the straight street and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So this is God's instructions to Ananias to go to the Judas's house, which we don't, how how did Judas let, what would it take to open your home. He had to have known. Maybe he knew of him before, but he had to be a Christian. Because at this point, Saul is turned from his, his radical Hebrewism, his radical Jewishness, and he's discovered the Messiah. Who's going to let him in their house? Now, you don't just let anybody in your home. If you do, you're not very smart. My wife and I learned that the hard way years ago. We used to think it was our job to just open up our home to anybody that had a need. And we let some bad people in our home, and, and there were some big consequences to it. So we've learned uh, that you got to seek God. Is this somebody, Lord, that you want us? We've got to use discernment. She and I have to be in agreement uh, before we do it. But this Judas opens up his home to this unknown. He's in process. He's blind. 
He's babbling. You know, he's had this encounter with Jesus. He's, he, he saw the Jesus that he thought was dead. And he's like, I think back to the people that opened up their homes to me when I first came. I used to go to a Bible study every Friday night with teenagers. And I just appreciate the home that was opened up to this drug dealing, uh, long trail of, of, of hurt that I left behind me of people. And there, there were people that were kind to me, that, that, that they didn't really know me. All they knew was I'd encountered Jesus and they opened up their home. That's the kind of church the vineyard is. The vineyard is a Judas house type church. The vineyard is a place that says our doors are open. Now we're not undiscerning. If somebody comes among us that's a wolf and tries to harm and hurt people, we'll show them the front door and meet the police officer on the way out. So we don't have a problem being protective, but people that come among us that are broken, life and they failed, whether they just got out of jail, they're on their fifth marriage, they're, just, they're going into recovery, they're dealing with broken family life, they're, 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 they're without a job, they're without a home, they're destitute, they're hurting, they, they've, they've, yeah, it doesn't, we don't vet people at the door and whether we're going to feed them or not, whether we're going to love them or not, whether we're going to welcome them or not. We just say, Lord, whoever you bring to us. And this was this heart of this guy named, that we don't know anything about him. But if it wasn't for him and these other believers, what could have happened to his faith? He could have got derailed. You think the enemy's happy losing someone like Saul, one of his main players? Now, now watch this. I love this. This guy, Ananias, again, we don't know anything. He's not an apostle. He's, that, not, he's just a guy. He's just a regular guy, ordinary, but that says, yes, Lord. If you want a new adventure in life, you start saying, yes, Lord. To say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Yes, Lord. Jesus, what job do you want me to do? Yes, Lord. If you keep offering God your yes, watch out because good things are gonna come your way. So he says, Lord, yes, I'll, I'll do what you want. And God tells him, verse 13, Lord, Ananias answers, uh, he says, I I've heard many reports about this man. In other words, are you up on this? Have you been reading the Jerusalem news? Have you been, are, are you, uh, he's kind of helping inform Jesus of what he knows about Saul. And he says, Lord, have you heard about this guy? What he's done to your saints in Jerusalem? And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And it's not like Jesus goes, oh no, I didn't know that. He knows every ounce. He wept with Stephen when Saul took part in Stephen being put to death. He wept with his other children that were persecuted. He knew every inch of Saul. He's been keeping his eye on him. You know there were believers praying. Now think about this. If you lived back then and he took your relatives and he punished them, could you join with other Christians and pray for him to come to Christ? Could you do that? Think about it. One of the things that blessed me more than I ever uh, I, never, I never dreamed that anybody ever prayed for me. You know, it's one of the most powerful things you can ever do for another human being, and that's pray for them. 
and to, to come to them and, and sometimes let them know, you know, I, I pray for you. But when I came to Christ, I had uh, someone that I met that went to a different high school. They went to Riverdale. Riverdale started when I was a sophomore in uh, high school in Fort Myers. I went to Fort Myers High. Riverdale was a newer school, and they had a good active church uh, near the school, and they had a youth group. At, it was at Riverside Baptist Church back then, and they've since moved to another part of town. But anyway, in their youth group, they had a, a project. They, they took each school. Back then, it was North Fort Myers, Fort Myers, Riverdale, and Cypress. That was the only high schools. And they said, let's pick the least likely person in each school to be a Christian. Now, how would you like your child to win that award? Yeah. You don't see a parent driving around, my kid's the least likely kid to become a Christian. You might say, my kid got the honor roll, my kid, you know, whatever, won this. But they voted me. I didn't know it. Some people that went to high school with me and said, Jamie Stilson, I don't know what language they used about me, but basically he's a scoundrel. He's the worst guy we know of in that school. He's the least likely to ever become a Christian. Now think about that. When I found out that somebody, it didn't hurt my feelings because it was true. I was least. I made fun of Christians. I mocked Christians. I mocked friends that, that uh, you know, I, 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 I got a 15-yard penalty one time on the field because I used a dirty word out on the field, and the referee threw a flag, and I said, what do you think, this is some kind of blanking church? And he threw me out. I knew I was a bad person. I made fun of Christians. I mocked people that went to church, and this little group prayed for me. Who are you praying for? that needs a miracle in their life? Is it a loved one, someone far from God? Maybe it's just somebody you connected with and God's put them on your heart. Maybe you don't even know them. Maybe it's somebody that's a, some kind of an enemy. This was an enemy. Saul's an enemy to the church. And now the church is being tested. How are they gonna respond? Can God trust the vineyard with people that are notoriously bad that come to faith in Jesus Christ or that they come here and come to faith in Jesus. I want to be a church that God can trust us, that they're not going to be judged and condemned and rejected, but they're going to be loved on. Now, this Ananias says, Lord, Lord, he's got authority. But every time you use the word Lord, you're reminded that Jesus has a greater authority. Amen? Jesus is not intimidated by the papers that somebody has. He's not intimidated by our Congress or Senate. He's not intimidated by the IRS or by the FBI. God is not intimidated by those that have somewhat of a civil, earthly authority. He's just not intimidated. It can't stop his kingdom. So Saul has a plan. Saul has authority. Saul has permission. But Jesus overrules. And that's where lives get changed. It's the Jesus factor that means that anybody can be transformed. Anybody, no matter how hard they are, if he can change this guy, a murderer, he can change anybody. Now listen to me. Ananias, I love this guy. I hope that God, we could be like him as a church. And he, God speaks to Ananias and says in verse 15, he says, the Lord says to Ananias, go, this man's my chosen instrument. Wow, think about that. 
When God picks a team, he picks the least likely, doesn't he? Come on, this guy is a loser. He's evil. He's wicked. And God says, no, I'm going to change him. I'm going to make him a vessel that carries good news. I'm going to make him somebody that changes the world. I'm going to change him to change the world. He says, go to this man. He's my chosen instrument, verse 15, to carry my name before Gentiles, their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. There's a cost to following Jesus. Ananias follows the Lord's direction. Now look at this. Think of what it took. He's got to have some courage. First of all, he's got to have confidence he's heard God. He's got to have confidence that God's leading him. It's not just a whim. He's, he's heard a word. It's not just a, a feeling. It's faith. God says, I want you to go. You know, my wife and I just got back from Scotland, and we had the most incredible journey of God giving us divine appointments. Not as dramatic as this. Sometimes it was in the parking lot of a grocery store. Other times it was in a restaurant. Uh, Just all over. We had these encounters with people that had no really biblical background, no faith context, and we got to share Christ uh, with people. Just because we were willing to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Ananias says, yes, Lord. Now look what happens. What would you say? You're walking into this home. You got a terrorist in there. He could have very easily have persecuted some of your own relatives and friends. He walks in. Listen to the words he speaks to Saul. He walks in in verse 17. He puts his hand. Remember, Saul can't see. He's blind. He's still in process. He walks in. He doesn't understand. He's starting to learn the Bible all over again. He knew it one way, but now Jesus is transforming him. He's been praying day and night. Can you imagine what those prayers were? God, I'm so sorry. God, I was so blind. God, all those things and shame comes in and regret. He probably saw the faces of those he tormented. Sometimes I saw faces of people that I had hurt and done bad things to and and haunted and, and he's, he's in that place of, yes, he's encountered Jesus, but what, do we, what does he do with his sins and, and the shame and the, the chains and the guilt? You need an Ananias, just a humble man, and he puts his hands on him, and he says, Saul, my brother. Now, is that not powerful? Now, this isn't like, hey, bro, what's going on? You know, this ain't, a, this ain't a, a 70s deal here. This is, I recognize you as my family in Christ. It resolves every barrier, every boundary. See, in America, we're segregated, we're divided, we're politicized, we're bound up into ideologies and opinions and, and all this different wrapped around this and wrapped around that. But when the kingdom of God comes, it's not what color you are. It's not how much money you got. It's not your education. It's not what language you speak. It's not what party you vote for. It's Jesus Christ has come into your life. You are my brother or my sister. And we share one God together. Our, say it with me, father. He's not my father. I don't own him. I don't control him. 
I don't get to pick my family. Do you know that? You didn't get to pick your family, did you? We all got families that we kind of like wish we could edit it a little bit. You know, there's always that uncle or that whatever in the family. You don't get to pick your family. When you say yes to Jesus, when Saul said Jesus, all of a sudden everybody that says Jesus is a brother and a sister. That's powerful. That doesn't mean you're going to all agree or all think alike or all like the same whatever. The church is a miracle because of people like Ananias that say, Brother Saul. Those are healing words. There's no judgment. There's no criticism. There's no, you're a foul man, Saul. You deserve to go to hell. And he would have said, you're absolutely right. But God showed him mercy. Hallelujah. God said, I love him. What is it there to love about him? Nothing. I love him just like what he does to you and to me. He loved me in my darkest moments. He said, you know what? That school thinks Jamie is the least likely. Let's just show that school. Let's just show those prayer people that I pick the least likelies. And some of you sitting in here are those least likelies. You have family and friends and people that have thought, not you. You'll never be a Christ follower. You'll never be a disciple of Jesus. You know, I often tell people when they get done singing on a Sunday morning or at, at, at dinner, when they get to call your mom at home if she's still living. Mom, I joined the choir. And your mom will freak out. Be like, what? You're in a choir. And because, you know, you're the choir at the vineyard. And, and you could tell, I'm in a choir. People that have given up on you doesn't mean God's given up on you. And God says, stop giving up on those that you know are far from God. If you give up on your prayers, if you give in to the devil's lies, who was praying for Saul? Stephen's family could have been the ones praying. God, he took our son from us. Capture him for your purposes, not crush him like a bug. That's the power of the enemy keeping revenge and hatred alive. And wow, what a story. Ananias says, brother Saul, you're in the family. See, if that hadn't happened, I don't know that you'd have a Paul. I, I get it that he met Jesus. There's the, the divine side of salvation that God has radically transformed him. But there's the human side. Some of you might remember the musician B.J. Thomas, and he would sing, raindrops keep falling on my head. And don't break into it now, you know. <laughs> I was at a Christian concert where he was new to faith in Christ. He had battled addictions. He, came to, he sang that song, and you know what some Christians did? They booed him. Booed him. It wasn't a Christian song. Now, if you can find something evil about raindrops falling on your head, I mean, I, 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 you know, and that's what legalistic, religious bigots do to people. They take their sins and they don't give God room to grow them. 
They don't give God room. Nobody comes in the kingdom of God prepackaged all together. And all, they know all the secret handshakes and all the Christian buzzwords. We all come in raw and broken. And we need someone to love us. Someone to give grace to us. Someone to teach us. Someone to be patient with us. And Ananias was that example to us. He lays his hands on him, and it says he prayed, and he was filled. In verse 17, he, he said to, let me just read the verse. Ananias went into the house. He entered it, placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. Whew. Ananias may not have ever wrote a book or led a church or done anything, but he took part in helping somebody grow in their new faith. Can you imagine that baptism service? Can you imagine the freedom when he came up out of that? Uh, baptism to me is one of the most powerful things that you can ever do. If you've not been baptized, you know, we're going to have a big push for a baptism service on October the 1st, which is one year anniversary of Ian. We're gonna do, we'll gonna do one on Thursday night, which is the actual day of the hurricane, the 28th. Of September, of, of September, will be right here baptizing people. If you haven't been, you got to mark it on your card. We'll, we'll, we'll sign it. It's one of the most powerful. I'll never forget my baptism. I went out in the Gulf of Mexico. It was December 23rd, 1975. It was really cold for a Florida boy. And I went out in that water. I went out still battling shame, still carrying guilt. I'd come to Jesus. I'd met Christ. I didn't have some, you know, 3D vision, but I knew that God had, had come to me and made himself real to me. I knew that God had showed me he loved me and that he had a purpose for my life. When I got baptized, they were my, you know, I, I, my mind flashes from me to this guy, and you guys might remember this, but it was one of our tent revivals. We used to do a tent revival on Sanibel, which is kind of an oxymoron, if you know about I mean, this is back in the, the 80s and 90s, and we put a big tent up right across from uh, Bailey's Grocery Store, 7-Eleven's there now. We'd, we'd do, and we had this guy wandered in the tent. He'd, he didn't have a home. He was a veteran, had terrible addictions. He wandered into the tent that day, came to Jesus in our service. He'd obviously been drinking from the night before. You could smell it on him. He said, I want to get baptized. And I said, are you serious with Jesus? He said, I'm serious. We took him out. We would go out to the beach, our church clothes on. We'd have our guitars. We'd sing songs. People on the beach would be like, the weirdos are here. The weirdos are here. And we would sing and we took this guy out. I'll never forget this. I'd give anything. We'll watch it on home movies in heaven. But when I baptized this guy, I laid him and I, I put him down. When he came up out of the water, he looked at both of his hands. And someone from the beach said they saw a light striking from heaven. I didn't see it. But he started screaming, I'm saved. I'm saved. He's forgiven me. He kept staring at his hands. The bloody hands, the guilty hands, 
the sinful hands. I'm saved. I'm saved. I didn't see him again until he got a note in the mail. He was in a VA clinic. He'd gotten free from addictions, and he called me Reverend Jesse. That's all he could remember is my name, and I could care less. He said, Dear Reverend Jesse, I want to thank you for helping me find Jesus. That day I was baptized, I have followed him every day since. Doesn't mean that he hadn't had problems and attacks, and as we all do. Let me just say this in, in wrapping this up. First of all, is there anybody that you've given up on? You don't pray for them anymore. You don't believe for them anymore. You don't reach out to them anymore. You just kind of got cold. Let me encourage you today to believe that God still raises the dead. Jesus raised Saul from the dead of spiritual bondage and blindness. Stop giving up. Press back in. Get refreshed in your faith. Second of all, maybe you don't have anybody that you know of personally that's really far from God. Then ask God to put somebody on your heart. Could be a, uh, it could be a movie star. It could be a, uh, a sports star. It could be a neighbor. It could be my wife and I pray for a, a certain uh, guy that we happen to have met named Russell Brand. I pray for him on a regular basis that Christ would capture his heart. And I don't know him. We met him one time for a few minutes, and my wife gave him a word from God, and it was just a, it was just a, we, we just, God put him on, he's entrusted him to us. Someday, he'll be like Saul, that God transforms, and we'll celebrate and just know that our part, we planted a little seed. We watered it, but maybe somebody else brought the increase. And so, listen to me. Maybe you don't have somebody, but pray for God to put somebody on your heart that you can believe for. That, that'll be like the least likely in our area. Who would have ever thought? Pray for them. Thirdly, maybe you feel like you're like Saul in different areas, that you can't ever change, that you're stuck, that you're branded, that you're bound, that your destiny is set. I want to say to you tonight, I'm going to say to you this morning, I'm going to say to you online, that's a lie, and I rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody is beyond God's grace. Nobody is beyond the hand of God that can reach down and lift anybody up out of the miry clay. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. Now I can see. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's a good God. Let's give him a hand. He's a good God. Let's stand up together. Now, for those of you that are watching on Sunday morning, we've given you a card to write a name on. And they're going to take that name or names of people that are far from God children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, people that you knew, people that you don't know, they're far from God. But you're going to say today, God, no one's too far from you to reach, to change. If you can change Saul, you can change them. And we're going to bring those names and we're going to bring them to the cross and believe God in a fresh way to say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. If you saved Saul and you made him a Paul, do it again. 
Maybe it's you tonight that you need to say, Jesus, I want you to change my life. I can't change myself. Saul didn't change and fix his life. He just fell into the arms of the living Lord Jesus Christ who had the power and the authority to transform his darkness into light. Father, would you bless your people right now? Renew faith where we've given up. Forgive us for doubting and forgive us for even the words of saying they'll never change. Forgive us for giving up. Thank you that you never give up. So, Father, would you put that, that faith back in us to believe and to stand strong in you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Just th that one that's just discouraged and, and just they're held captive. Lord, would you bring the hope right now, the power of the Spirit of God can break any chain, can free any bondage. Father, thank you that you're the God of the impossible. You're the God of amazing grace. And we celebrate that grace in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. God bless you.